Let us have a word of prayer. Lord God of promise, your word made flesh in Jesus Christ is trustworthy and true. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may it rise up in us this day like a gift from the spring of the water of life to refresh our thirsty souls. Amen. Good morning. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament, Acts chapter 11, reading verses 1 to 18. Let us hear the word of God. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men, sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had happened upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Our second reading comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 148, and it'll be read responsively with the responses on the screen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. 
Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are his chose to him. Praise the Lord. Our third reading comes from the New Testament, the book of Revelation, chapter 21 reading verses 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, See, The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. And our final reading comes from the Gospel, the Gospel according to John, chapter 13, reading verses 31 to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God for his word to us. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Ooh, no, no, not yet. Him. I keep forgetting this hymn. I'm so used to only singing two hymns through COVID. This third hymn always sneaks up on me. The hymn is number 209 in the book of praise. The words will appear before you on the screen. O love that wilt not let me go, let us sing to the praise and glory of God. Now we'll try this again. Friends in Christ, what I say to this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A number of years ago now, I was attending an educational event, just kind of like yesterday, actually. And the keynote speaker that we had was introducing us to a, to a process of group storytelling. It was to help sessions and governing boards and churches or congregations just in general to discern God's will out of all of the threads that make up um, congregational life and make up part of our decision-making process. During the uh, session summary there, you heard about the request from the board of managers for the session to give serious consideration to a finance committee and a property committee. And, and kind of there's a story behind that, right? And, and so we could do that process uh, that, of which I speak with, with that very decision and, and maybe it would be helpful to us as we uh, seek to find out where God is, is leading and how best we might fulfill those roles. It was that sort of thing. And it was a brilliantly simple little process. It consisted of a group of simple sentences. You only got to say one sentence. So you didn't have the opportunity to get into some lengthy discourse. You didn't get to pass judgment on whether you thought somebody was right or wrong, the decision was good or bad. It was just the fact. And as you said your sentence, you had to introduce your sentence with two introductory phrases. They were, and then, or, or before that. So, you might think something like, this morning I woke up, or this morning I had Cheerios for breakfast. But before that, I made a cup of coffee. And then I went downstairs to go over my notes for this morning's. See how it worked? Just, just very simple. And then, but before that, simple facts to bring us along to the road that we have traveled to get to this point. And I was reminded of that little process this week as I was thinking about this gospel lesson that we've just heard read for us this morning. The, it's, it's a gospel story that invites us into the middle. Right? Did you notice that? The gospel lesson that Alex just read begins with the words, when he had gone out, when he had gone out, who went out? Where was he going, Ariel? I don't know. I, actually, I do know. 
It's a familiar story. Does anybody know who went out? Anybody? Do you know where he was going? This, the passage that we've heard is, makes up part of Jesus' farewell discourses. So that should be a, a hint for you. It's towards the end of John's gospel. The gospel states when he had gone out. But what happened before? Before that, Jesus had predicted his betrayal. And then Judas went out to bring the authorities to arrest Jesus. You see? I'm kind of jump in the middle there. Have to remind ourselves where is this story coming from and where is it going? This little discourse that Jesus has with his disciples then happens in between the gathering of the disciples for the Last Supper and Jesus' washing of their feet and Jesus' arrest. And it contains a particularly Johannine phrase. Jesus says in the, to the disciples in this reading, Now the Son of God has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. I think as many of you are probably aware, I follow the revised common lectionary in uh, the, the diet of preaching that we have here each week. The lectionary, for those who don't know, is a, a, a calendar, an arrangement of texts from scripture for each Sunday in the church year. And each year, the lectionary looks at one gospel in particular. Now, you may have noticed there's a problem there, right? A three-year lectionary that focuses on the one gospel each year. But there are four gospels. Brenda's with me. Four gospels. The lectionary doesn't really deal well with the Gospel of John. They pull stories from time to time because they like the story told in John better than they do in the other Gospels, I suppose. But they don't wrestle with the theology that John has that is particular to John. And that is especially the case here. Especially with John, it is this fourth gospel that brings out this idea of the glorification of Jesus. And if we read John from cover, from cover to cover, what we would find is that there are several times throughout that gospel as Jesus is performing miracles and doing things, that Jesus stops and he goes, but the Son of Man is not yet glorified. And saying to the reader, and to the disciples who are following him, don't get ahead of yourself yet. Don't leap to the end. And then today, in this strange little passage that we leap into the middle of, Jesus says, today, the Son of Man has been glorified. Throughout John, one gets a sense that glorification is important that indeed it will be the climax of this gospel, that we need to be looking out for it. But because we never really look at it in too many congregations, we're not clear on what that all means. 
What is glorification? Listening to a a podcast earlier this week on the texts for this Sunday, Caroline Lewis, who is a Johannine scholar and teaches uh, New Testament at Luther Theological Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, stated it quite simply. She said, glorification is to reveal the presence of God in our midst. I'm going to repeat that just so that we have it. Glorification is to reveal the presence of God in our midst. And for John, this glorification is most perfectly revealed in the self-sacrificing love of God found in Jesus Christ through his crucifixion. And interesting, Lewis continues, it is the reality of this glorification that forces Judas who does not understand and therefore Judas has to leave at this point in the story because Judas doesn't get it. She said that and I kind of went, whoa, that's another, that's another sermon for another day, but not this morning. I had other plans for this morning. But you see, as, John, as Jesus recognizes this history-changing moment, this moment when the Son of Man will be glorified, when the purposes of God will be revealed in the midst of his people, we recognize that this glorification changes everything. It will change the course of Jesus' life and ministry, right? We said it sta- this little text stands in the middle between Jesus' prediction of his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion on the one hand and on the other, the, his death and resurrection. So it will change everything in Jesus' life and ministry, but it will also change the disciples and how they interact with each other and with the world. Jesus says to the disciples, I give you a new commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The ministry of the disciples of Jesus, the first To believe in him. And of the church throughout all future generations from that time onward is to love others. But what is of interest this morning are just two little words that begin verse 33. Now indeed, in the original Greek, it's just one word. Technia. Or as it's translated and as Alex read, little children. Indeed, this is an odd word in Scripture. It appears only once in John's Gospel and only less than a handful of times throughout all of Scripture. And it's odd because it's not the descriptor. It's not, I was walking down the street and I saw six... Tekna, six little children. It's not that. 
It's a pet name. Think for a minute about your own children or your, how your parents interacted with you. What were you called? How did they address you? Were you sweetie or perhaps kiddo? It's, it's like that. It's that little pet name for, the chil- for, for Jesus' little pet name for his disciples, little children. And it is a word that speaks about relationship, isn't it? We have to look at our own families to find those examples, right? In our household, I used to refer to our children from time to time, particularly when they were getting a, a, a little bit, you know, those, those little sad stories that come out, as le petit oiseau rouge, the little red bird. Oh, le petit oiseau rouge. It's like that. It's that inside joke. It's that thing that only somebody who knows you very well would ever think to call you. Throughout the Gospels, we find those little words. Those words, those familial terms, right? That describe a relationship between the people as well as just names. Jesus refers to God as Abba, Father. That's, it's, that's not a, 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 you know, father word. It's that intimate, what a child calls their parent. Daddy. And in, in, in return, Jesus is the son or my beloved, right? When God speaks from the cloud about Jesus, he doesn't say, you know, just my son or Jesus or the one who I sent, but it's always my beloved. There is a relationship that exists between uh, God who is father, and Jesus, who is son. That's why we continue to use that language in the church. We, we have gone through a great period where, where churches have, have attempted as much as possible to be gender neutral. And we can do that, right? We can speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. The roles that they play in the history of the world and in the life of the church. But if we do that and that exclusively, we lose that relationship and the love that binds the persons of the Trinity together. And so we've been completely unable to to erase those terms from our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. Because they are the relational terms that hold God, Father, Abba, to Son, Beloved, to Spirit, the Enlivener, and to us. Love one another as I have loved you. And the same is true in our churches and with our own families. 
right? As we come here on a Sunday morning, we come as people of faith, bound together by love and in this relationship. We know one another here and we are comfortable with one another. Every now and then, you even come across a nickname that one might only use if one knew another as a beloved. Right? That intimacy of relationship exists in congregations. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift from God, but also a commandment from God. And we remember those people, people from past, present, and future. That wall of pictures that hangs in the entryway here at St. John's and that hallway of ministers that hangs in congregations around the world are, are testimony to the beloved relationship that exists between clergy and their flock, right? We call people who sit in the pews from time to time flock, the people who come and gather and listen and who are cared for here. But we also, and you know, like I say, we have our our photos of, of, of folks who have served in different capacities here, remembering their role and how they have given testimony to the gospel and how they have shown love to one another. And that is an incredibly important reality for us as the church. At the end of the day, Jesus' command to his disciples isn't, some lofty theological discourse on, 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 the, the, uh, on sanctification and justification, all those big three-letter words that ministers have in books. Jesus' word to his disciples is just four letters long. Love one another. And we are called as the church to show that love out into the world and in amongst ourselves. We've been talking a lot in Christian education about, you know, we've changed Christian education. I don't know what we're calling it anymore, but we've decided we don't like the, the, the phrase Christian education anymore. We, we like faith and nurture, isn't that right? Is that it, Trish? Something like that? Faith formation? Uh, we're working on it. It's a work in progress because it recognizes that, the, that these con connections that we have are bigger and the work that we do here in the church is bigger. And as Christian education, we're starting to bounce back ideas of what does that bigger look like. And one of the things that it looks like is making sure people know one another. Being multi-generational in our community life as a congregation. So that, and not just within my own biological family. If my children only know their mother, my, me, then we, we, we got problems. They should know, they should know Archie. Because Archie is a saint of the church. And Ken, because Ken is a saint of the church. And they should know Donna, because Donna is a saint of the church. All of these people in this congregation who have their things that they do and share, and the affection and the love that they show to, the, to, to, to one another, but also to those who are part 
of the family of God. So you're going to hear about some of these things as we move forward in the next year or so, thinking about what it means to be a church that is multi-generational, a church that lives in the, in the commandment of Jesus Christ to love one another just as Christ has loved us and to share the good news of the gospel with one another because that is how we show forth that love. It is by telling the story of Jesus and his love for us with all people, young and old, big and small, friends and strangers alike. All are part of the family of God because all are loved. And that is what Jesus has called us to do. Thanks be to God for his call into our lives to be a loving force in this world. Amen.